Good morning, church family. It's my privilege to be uh, with you this morning and to preach from the Gospel of Luke. And if you have not already, in whatever way you have your Bible with you this morning, open to Luke chapter 12. And I will be preaching from verses 8 to 12. And that will be the focus of our time this morning. Well, one week from today, 457 years ago, Anglican Bishop Thomas Cranmer was burned at the stake as a martyr for Christ. Now, Cranmer first served as Archbishop under King Henry VIII. And if you see me looking down at my notes, I want to make sure I get all these things right about him. He's not really popular these days, but in about a week, we'll remember that he died for Christ. Now, he's a complicated character. During the time of Henry VIII, he was able to wrest control of the state church from Catholicism and turn it into Protestantism. Now, he didn't do that in all the right ways. Right? In, one, in one sense, he, he arranged a marriage so that Protestantism could take over in England. So probably some bad means to get to the right end. And we kind of wonder, what would, what would happen to Cranmer? Well, as he continued on, he actually had a really profitable ministry. He wrote the uh, book of prayer that's used in the Anglican Church, and even worldwide, the, the book of common prayer is used even today. But when the, the Protestant king, Edward, died, one of Henry's other children, Mary, known as Bloody Mary, who is staunchly Roman Catholic, who hated Protestants, and who blamed everything bad in her view that happened in England on Tom, Thomas Cranmer, determined that once she became queen, Cranmer was her number one target. So sure enough, on the day after she was um, raised up in her position as queen, she went after Cranmer and arrested him and two of his friends by the name of Hugh Latimer and Nichols Ridley. Now, Latimer and Ridley were taken right away to the stake and burned, and Cranmer watched them. But for several more months, he was stuck in a prison being harassed and provoked, ridiculed, abused by all of the Catholic priests that Mary could send his way. And her main aim was to break him. And after those several months, Cranmer, just broken by that constant harassment and that persecution that he felt deep within, signed his name at the bottom of six refutations of the Protestant faith and embracing, once again, the Pope in Rome. So he just was himself broken, but he was allowed to get out of jail and he went back to his pulpit to preach once again, but surprise, surprise, Mary was not satisfied and she sent the authorities after him, arrested him right from his pulpit and marched him out to be burned at the stake. Well, Cranmer is a complicated guy and he had just signed away all of his beliefs in Jesus and the gospel. But on the way to the stake, he collapsed at that place where his friends, Latimer and Ridley, were burned. And he, and he wept and he confessed his unfaithfulness to Jesus. And he got up and marched to his own pyre that they had built to burn him on. And as they lit the fire, church history tells us in the Fox's Book of Martyr, 
clarifies this story and tells you in, in vivid terms of the day that as the fire reached him, Thomas Cranmer reached his right hand down and allowed it and held it there to be burned first. And he kept crying out, this unworthy hand, this unworthy hand that had signed those refutations of Jesus and the true gospel. And finally, when his body was mostly burned and not much was left of him, he was last heard to say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, when I hear stories like this, I have to wonder, what would I have done in a situation like that? Um, I've heard these stories from church history throughout most of my adult life. And I've gone back to read them again. And I, and I, I wonder, I'd like to think I would never recant my faith. I'd like to think that I would be strong in the face of persecution. Could I face the flame? Could I go to prison for Christ? Could I face the barrel of a gun and not deny him? I think that these questions must run through many of your minds as well. If you followed Christ for any time, you hear about what Christians might be facing around the world, you hear about what Christians have faced in church history, and you ask yourself, would I be faithful? Would I follow Jesus, even if it meant my life? I think, friends, from the text last week that Pastor Sam preached and the one this week, we come face to face with the reality that fear can grip us. And many times it's the fear of what others can do to us. But we found out last week that we have a power that can help us not be afraid. And we likewise have a power that can help us overcome feeling ashamed. And likewise, we can be unashamed for Christ. And ultimately, my friends, I see in the text today, despite what you might feel of your own sense of power, that you have a power to speak up for the king. And that's the theme that we're looking at today. It's the title of our message, Speak Up for the King. We're going to be looking at these verses 8 through 12. We actually have this outline that I want to cover with you today. I see in verses 8 and 9 that we must speak up to confess the king. Speak up to confess the king. Verse 10, we will see that we must speak up about the forgiveness of the king. That's a unique opportunity that we have as his people, but finally, speak up by the spirit of the king. As we look in this text today, we will see the importance of speaking up, and even if you look at those verses 8 through 12, you'll see multiple terms. In verse 8, you see acknowledge. Twice, you see deny. These are things that you do with your mouth, ways that you speak. In verse 10, uh, Jesus says, everyone who speaks a word but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. And that's in terms of forgiveness, but that's what you do with your speech. And finally, even in verses 11 and 12, in the, the future scenario where you will be brought before people who might question you about what you believe, and we're wondering how will we defend ourselves. That's a word that has to do with what we use to argue for the reasons why we believe what we believe. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will help you know what you ought to say, right? So speaking up for the king is not optional. And the urge of this text drives us to recognize that we must speak up for the king. So let's look at verse 
8 in more detail. As we see this first point, speak up to confess the king. Now the context here begins back in Luke chapter 11, verses 53. Remember that Jesus over these past two chapters, chapter 11 and chapter 12, has been trying to highlight the utter bankruptcy and powerlessness of the religious establishment of the Pharisees and the scribes. They had no power. They were hypocrites. That meant that they said they were something, but in their practice in life, they failed to do what God was calling them to do as the shepherds of Israel. And Jesus is, instead of focusing on them, rejecting them, and now he is creating a new spiritual authority on the earth. It's not who you would expect. It's people coming out of the highways and the hedges as the king goes out and calls them in. It's people who are fishermen and tax collectors, former prostitutes, religious persecutors, zealots. He's pulling them together and he is forming them into a spirit-filled community. It began back in chapter 11 with the Lord's Prayer. Remember at the, at the end of the Lord's Prayer section when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he said the Father loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The Spirit prevails through chapters 11 and 12, totally missing in the religious authorities, but given by grace to the followers of Jesus who come to him by faith. That's the source of power that he's trying to teach them about. So as he identifies those hypocrites, they lie in wait like hunters, crouching for the opportune time to jump out at Jesus and to capture him, to prosecute him, and to kill him, to get him off the scene. And you've got the mob surrounding Jesus. The mob is never a safe place to be. You think of riots nowadays. You, you don't want to be out in the middle of a riot. You don't want to be in the middle of a mob. Mobs don't think. And if you're in the middle of that, imagine how Jesus now feels the press of the mob. He knows the intent of the religious authorities, and he speaks to his disciples about what they should do in the midst of this. They don't want to be in the religious establishment. They don't want to be in the mob. They want to look at Jesus. And this is what he says. Verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. We'll leave this verse up there and just try to take a, a phrase at a time so that you understand what this very straightforward word from Jesus is saying. And I say it's very straightforward. It's not hard to understand. But I want to explain what the terms are. And I want to help us think through what it means for us here as followers of Jesus today. You know, Jesus says that everyone who acknowledges me. I want to focus on that word acknowledge for a minute. This is the Greek word homologeo. Right? It's the same word that's used in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, it comes from two words put together in Greek, homo, meaning the same, 
and logo or logos, which means the word. So in essence, acknowledging Jesus means that we are saying the same thing about him that he has revealed to us he is. We're not making up things about Jesus as people all over our culture right now are doing, saying all manner of blasphemies against Jesus. But Jesus has revealed himself. And those who accept the testimony of Jesus in these gospels testify, confess him. And this is what we are called to do. He also says that if we confess what he reveals about himself to others down here, where he is in heaven, he will confess to the angels of God as witnesses of all these things happening down here, where the true authority is, where the true power source is, where those who have the authority to carry out the will of God the Father in scattering those who don't belong to him, but gathering his people to himself. Jesus says, I confess that one right there. He has acknowledged me before men. That's my precious son. It could be like the lady Miriam Ibrahim, who was arrested several years ago in a Muslim African country, pregnant with her second child and with her two-year-old with her thrown into prison because she claimed Christ in a country where that was not legal. And she could have gotten out, but she didn't. She said, I am a Christian. I follow Jesus. And in heaven, Jesus said, Miriam is mine. She belongs to me. You know, when things like that happen down here, Jesus gets busy up in heaven telling people, everyone, and he does not ashamed of the people down here that are his people, right? That should mean something to you, to you if you are a follower of Jesus. But likewise, Jesus says that those who deny him, those who deny me, he says, before men will be denied before the angels of God. That's a frightening thing. And I heard in James' prayer this morning, one of our elders, he said, you know, Lord, there's going to be some who find out that they have been denied in heaven and some who find out they've been acknowledged, even in this room today. It's a sobering thought, my friends, to think that someday we will hear the assessment of Jesus and that it's already been pronounced in heaven, acknowledged or denied in measure of how we do it down here, acknowledged. I acknowledge Jesus. And that doesn't just mean, oh, yeah, I know about Jesus. No, it's I know Jesus. And he's revealed himself to me. He loves me, like we sang this morning. Right, these songs that we sing here ought not to be songs just for the privatization of this room, but the testimony of our hearts in the public squares and the places where we work, to unsaved family members, to coworkers, to people that we meet through business transactions, Jesus is the theme of our testimony. And I love it that he says, whoever acknowledges me. It, he doesn't say, whoever acknowledges everything that I've ever taught. In this sense, it's very simple. Do you follow Jesus? You might need to ask, well, which Jesus are we talking about? But once you've clarified who Jesus is, you say, yes. I am a follower of Jesus. And the Lord himself before the angels of heaven 
will acknowledge you or deny you if you don't take that opportunity. Now, what does this mean for you and me? Well, since roughly four years ago, there's a trend that Christian leaders have been tracking. And it's that Christians are feeling, and this is the word that they're using, marginalized in the public square. They are afraid to speak up. Do you ever feel that way? Millennials, they always get picked on in statistics. Sorry, millennials. All right, 40% of millennials as of four years ago were reported among evangelical believers who profess to be um, believers. 40% of millennial believers feel afraid to speak up, either because they will be misunderstood or because somebody might not like what they say. And anymore, now four years later, it's becoming intensified because something you might say as a Christian, purely from the Bible, could easily be regarded as hate speech. This is the culture that we live in. You know, I, I lived for many years in a country um, where believers operate in secret. And so there's often a debate about, well, maybe we ought to just pull back what we're doing and become very secretive about it. But really, when you get down to it and you read the Gospels, eventually, what you're doing as a Christian needs to be lived out and spoken up about in the public square. Privatization of our faith as it's being talked about, like, well, I, I believe these things, but I'm not going to impose that on anybody. Well, we're not called to impose anything on anybody. We're called to speak up for the king. We're told to testify and acknowledge Jesus. And we can't be quiet about that. Now, whether it's in a restaurant, I mean, have you ever felt uncomfortable bowing your head and praying in a restaurant? <laughs> well, praise God, Woody. <laughs> you know, I have felt that, and, and, and this, I think, comes from many years of living in such a place where I felt like I had to keep things on the down low as far as Christianity goes, living in a closed country. But even now, I kind of get that sense coming back into my heart, and I, I had to challenge myself this week. You know, the only hope, when I feel either afraid or embarrassed or that tinge of, ooh, maybe I shouldn't do this because somebody else might be offended, to bring it back to this scripture. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven, before the angels of God in heaven. And to remember that Jesus is the hope of this world. People who don't pray are abnormal. The only normal one in this whole situation is Jesus. And if we don't bring him into the public square and begin somewhere to engage with people, setting an example, speaking a word, then we're not doing what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And we may even have reason to question whether we follow Jesus at all. So when we get to this, I, I just feel a heaviness, and I want to, to draw your attention to the next point. Because the king speaks up in verse 10 about something that is unique. Verse 10. You know, sometimes we get stuck in verse 10 on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
and we try to figure out what that means. And we totally miss the grand reality and the promise of Jesus in the first part of verse 10. Look at that with me, if you will. Luke 12, 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. I'm going to read that again. Everyone, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. That's a promise. It's a guarantee. And he also does say, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. We'll get to that in a moment. And it may seem at first glance that those who deny the Son of Man will be denied by him in eternity and that there's no reversing that. But as long as we're here on this earth, as long as we live in this life and have breath in our lungs, we can go to the king for the areas in which we have not been faithful to him and we can ask him for forgiveness. In the Gospel of Mark, he's even more explicit about what Jesus said in this context and shares more of what was said. These perspectives are so helpful. Mark 3, 28, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Remarkable promise here. Amazing truth. Now, there is a blasphemy that will not be forgiven. Again, we will, we will talk about that in a moment. But just revel for a moment in the promise of Jesus that when you have been unfaithful to him, if there's still breath in your lungs, you can come back to him right now and ask him to forgive you. And out of the sincerity of your heart, acknowledge where you did not confess him when you had the opportunity, where you did not take advantage of the chance to testify about him. And here's what you can talk about. You could speak up about the forgiveness of the king. Now, forgiveness is a theme that I don't think we are so willing to embrace all the time because we think it's better just to hide and not talk about our hangups and our sins and our failures. And the king says, everyone will be forgiven, whatever blasphemies they utter. If you want to understand this a little bit better, you know, notice this, that the king excludes no one from his forgiveness. He says, everyone will be forgiven. That's wonderful. Right? You, you think about the worst that you have done. I, I've done some pretty bad things. I think about in the course of the 11, almost 12 years, I've been married to my wife. She probably sees about 60 to 70% of me. Likewise, when we have trouble, I see about 60, maybe, you think that's arrogant, maybe 40% of my wife. God sees 100% of me, and he sees 100% of you. Nothing is hidden. And he says to me, everyone, come. There's forgiveness for you. It's available. And likewise, the king puts no qualification on his forgiveness. All sins will be forgiven, whatever blasphemies they utter. Now, this does not mean it's cheap it doesn't mean that it's costless. It doesn't mean that you can just take it or leave it. It's very costly to the king, as we'll see in just a moment. But for you, 
It's totally available, no cost to you. The cost has been paid by the king. I think of Peter later on when he heard this from Jesus right now and he denied him later on. Remember that story? Three times. I don't know him. I'm not associated with him. I don't know the man. And then the rooster crowed and he ran away bitter in his heart knowing that he had acknowledged Jesus. No, he denied Jesus. But remembering what Jesus said, everyone will be forgiven, whatever blasphemies they utter. I think of Paul, the Apostle Paul, after years of killing followers of Christ and blaspheming the name of Jesus, meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus and learning from the Lord, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. I think of John Newton. He was the author of Amazing Grace. Remember that? We sing that from time to time. He was a foul-mouthed sea captain of an 18th century slave ship. And he got saved, radically, converted. And he spent a lifetime pastoring after that and writing hymns with his friend William Cooper. And they produced a hymn book called the Olney Hymnal. It was in Olney, England, where he pastored. Amazing Grace is in that hymnal. He wrote another one called Looking at the Cross. And in it, John Newton meditates on the forgiveness he received and that anyone can receive due to the costly death of Christ. This is, these are a couple of the stanzas from that hymn. He says, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood who fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood and never Till my dying breath will I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. Imagine that, standing at the cross of Jesus, and he looks at you. And in your heart, you're, you're convicted. I put him there. My sins put him on that cross. So John Newton continues, and he's teaching his congregation to sing this. They may not feel it yet, but to sing it and to meditate. This is the truth. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. But with a second look, he said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for your ransom paid. I died that you might live. You know, the redeemed people of God who are the forgiven, spirit-filled people, they speak up about forgiveness. The world doesn't like forgiveness. Many Christians don't think enough about forgiveness. Again, because we think it's better just to pretend that we're all right. But we're not all right. We need forgiveness. Forgiveness is what the Lord does to bring us back in right fellowship with him. And he uses it time and time again to restore us and even to reconcile us in relationships down here. Forgiveness is essential now, what is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, in a real sense, it's rejecting the need for forgiveness. This happened, you know, this scenario of blasphemy against the Spirit happened back in chapter 11. You might remember Jesus cast a demon right after he mentioned the Father loves to get the Spirit to those who ask him. Jesus cast a demon out of a, a man that was mute, couldn't speak. And people saw what happened, and their conclusion was, he cast out this demon by the prince of demons, Beelzebul. 
In other words, Jesus, you're nothing but a child of hell, and you've been sent here to disrupt and to trick people. And Jesus responded to them with arguments saying that it's ridiculous to think that Satan would be divided against Satan. Why would Satan cast out his own followers? Why would he seek to liberate them and and direct them to God? And in this text, Jesus is reflecting back on that, and as he instructs his disciples, he's saying that everyone who sins or speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but to continue to reject the need of Jesus, to continue time after time after time to say, no, I don't want him. I know what you're saying about him. I even see what the Bible says about him. I know that you're saying I'm a sinner. I even think, oh, that's probably true, but I don't care. You know, having that attitude all the way up to the attitude that would say that Jesus is just a child of hell, that he is the devil himself and the spirit's just a spirit from the abyss brought up here to confuse us. We're doing okay without him. You know, that attitude ultimately is what God in Romans chapter 1 just takes his hands off of and says, if that's what you want, go for it. And a quote from commentator Michael Wilcock in England, he says, the man who is determined to go to hell will certainly get there. So let me ask you, have you received the king's forgiveness? There's still time. Here are the good things about it. Forgiveness is costly to him, but is freely given to you. He has paid the price by the shedding of his own blood. Forgiveness frees you from the crushing weight of your sin. This is a glorious truth. Jesus, who sees you, 100% of you, he knows exactly who you are and what you've done this week. And he knows that you are not a perfect follower of his. Don't settle by simply saying, well, nobody's perfect. Admit what you have done wrong and receive the forgiveness of the king. It will free you from a crushing weight of guilt that you don't even know you have. Perhaps you've carried it so long. Forgiveness gives you a reason to speak up. It actually loosens your tongue to witness. If you want to testify, if you want to confess Jesus to others, then tell them how you've been forgiven. People might laugh. They might think it's not necessary. They may conclude, well, I'm glad that worked for you, but that would never work for me. Now just keep speaking of how the forgiveness of the king is true, that it's real, and that it is changing you. This is what Jesus wants us to know. This is what the the Spirit is giving witness to. And my encouragement to you today is that no matter what happens, even if people would say that you're crazy, if they would say that you are just using religion as a crutch, and that if you would dare to bring that into the workplace or the school, wherever it might be, that you just need to be quiet Because you have your own opinion, but if you try to force your opinion on anybody else, you're wrong, even though that's happening elsewhere in the world and it seems okay if the message is agreed upon. 
and it's not having anything to do with Jesus. That was an aside. If you bring Jesus into the public square, be ready for a little bit of opposition and maybe in the future a whole lot of persecution. So Jesus speaks to that in the final point today. Speak up by the spirit of the king. The Lord Jesus did not want his followers to fear and to make their primary relationship with the Holy Spirit fear of blaspheming against him. You know, again, we can have all manner of wrong thoughts, even at times in the past as a younger man worried about blaspheming against the Spirit, I would think maybe it means saying curse words about the Holy Spirit in your head, and if you do that, you're in trouble. It doesn't mean that. Sometimes those things come in as temptations, and you can reject them, and you can embrace the truth about who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit truly is. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is not primarily, primarily fear that we will fail him, but it is reliance on him as our helper. How is he our helper? Verse 11 says this, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The the glorious reality here is that the Holy Spirit is the true helper of every Christ follower, never leaves them, and helps them to communicate and to speak up, not in their own power, but with the divine power that is theirs in Christ. I think of the threat that's listed here, and Jesus knows it. He knows that those religious leaders were crouched as hunters waiting to capture Jesus, to spring out at him, to to put him in prison, to take him to the cross. But he knew that his followers would face this as well. And I want you to see in the text, it's not a matter of maybe this will happen. Jesus says, when they come to take you before the authorities. He's saying it will happen. You know, it's unusual for us living in the United States up to this point, that we've not had to face unique times of particular persecution simply because we name the name of Jesus. And I'm not here today to speak of the doom of America. You know, I I think we're, we're on kind of this watershed. It's difficult to know which direction we're going. But one thing is for sure, Jesus hasn't changed. And the message of Jesus will not change no matter what culture we live in, no matter what time. I think of what Peter and John experienced when they healed a crippled man in Acts chapter 4, and they were taken in front of the synagogue and they were questioned. This is what they said. Rulers and people, ru- rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you. And to all of the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. 
Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Here's a key to life in the Spirit and reliance on the Spirit. You're not just waiting for some force to zap you in a time when you need it. Do you realize that the power comes by spending time with Jesus? This past year, um, a Christian blogger that my wife and I both love to follow, his name is Tim Challies, one of his, his, his son, his oldest son, a student at Southern Seminary, was out in, on a field playing in an afternoon with his fiance and friends. He collapsed and died. Young man, just early 20s. And Tim Challies writes about this some months later about what he reflects on about that moment when he received that call. He said he grabbed his wife's hands and they, they bolstered themselves with the truth that they had practiced time and time again. God is good. This does not negate his goodness. God is in control. He wouldn't send anything that goes beyond his control. We have not done something now that gets punishment from God. Jesus has received that punishment. And he is faithful and we will trust him. Parents devastated by the unexpected death of their young adult child. But in that moment, they turned to what they had rehearsed. They prepared for what was coming, not knowing exactly what would come. And my friends, our opportunity is to be with Jesus now. Because if we're to acknowledge him before men, we got to know him. Look at this time. If it's a calm before a storm, if it's the lull before a, a time of persecution, then use it. And be faithful in your sanctification, in your growth right now to be with Jesus, to read about him, to receive who he is. And like these men, uneducated, simple fishermen, if they can do it, there's hope for us. Consider the, the case of Pastor Wang Yi, sentenced in 2018 to nine years in prison on the charges of inciting subversion of state power and illegal business activities. In other words, he preached that Jesus is the king, not the state. That's the part that got him in trouble. And he printed Bibles and Christian literature to help people grow spiritually. This is a threat to Wang Yi's government. This is from a Time magazine article by a writer named Amy Gunia, dating back to January 2nd, 2020. We read about two guys trying to think about the context of that situation, about Wang Yi's arrest. Uh, one guy, uh, Feng Gong Yang, a professor of sociology and the director of the Center on Religion and Chinese Society at Purdue University, told Time that there are about 116 million Protestant Christians in mainland China in 2020. And it is almost certain that by 2030, there will be more Christians in China than any other country in the world. Compare that with an estimated 90 million members in the Communist Party. And government leaders believe they have cause for concern. Underground churches are spreading like wildfire, 
says Willie Lam, a, a professor at a Chinese university in Hong Kong. He says, the Chinese government is afraid that more people, including less educated people, are turning to the church for their spiritual needs and not to official nationalism and patriotism. Amen. Would that American people, starting with us Christians, turn to the Lord for their spiritual needs in faithful Bible-preaching churches, but not to official nationalism and patriotism? I, I, friends here, especially our, our, our beloved patriots who have fought in wars, I do not want our country to be communistic. I don't think that's a good idea. So I'm not throwing up my hands and saying, whatever happens, just bring it. But what I am saying is, my primary focus is not to change that. My primary focus is to live in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ and to be willing to speak and acknowledge him and see his groundbreaking kingdom blow apart these human structures. Yeah, if we're, if we're worried about the direction of anything happening here in our country right now, then build more churches. Launch out hubs of people who can represent Jesus in communities, and speak up for the king. Don't restrict it to the interior of the walls of the church, but be ready to speak out in the public squares and ask the king to build us up and to give us boldness to speak for him because we have the power to do so. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, Pastor Wong Yi has been in prison since 2018 on that nine-year sentence when his arrest was imminent, he wrote an open letter to describe why he chose to continue preaching the gospel in a country where doing so would cost him his freedom. If you'd want to read the Chinese version, you can go to Facebook and look at the Early Rain Church, and you'll see pictures of his printed letter. If you want to read an English copy, all you need to do is look up Wang Yi and open letter, and you'll find it. Here's what he said before he was arrested when he knew he was about to be. He said, On the basis of the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the church, of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. For God deposes kings and raises up kings. This is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. As a pastor of a Christian church, I have my own understanding and views based on the Bible about what righteous order and good government is. At the same time, I am filled with anger and disgust at the persecution of the church by this communist regime, at the wickedness of their depriving people of the freedoms of religion and conscience. But changing social and political institutions is not the mission I have been called to, and it is not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. For all hideous realities, unrighteous politics, and arbitrary laws manifest the cross of Jesus Christ, the only means by which every Chinese person must be saved. They also manifest the fact that true hope and a perfect society will never be found in the transformation of any earthly institution or culture, but only in our sins being freely forgiven by Christ and in the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful testimony of a pastor who faced imprisonment but he embraced it because to him it would be the opportunity for the gospel to prevail in arenas heretofore were unreachable and to testify 
to people all around him that there is a power greater than any that you can find on this earth. Would that we would showcase that as followers of Jesus, speaking up for the king by the power of the spirit. Around the world, our brothers and sisters face persecution. And while we mourn for them and pray for them, we start to wonder if stories like Wang Yi or even Thomas Cranmer might suddenly start happening here in our country. Here in America, we're, we're experiencing many challenges on the national, political, but especially spiritual scale. And again, we don't fully know how things will turn. So instead of ending on a pessimistic note or prophesying of doom, I think instead we need to focus on the good lessons that these who have died or who are being imprisoned even now have taught us about speaking up for the king. And let me phrase them in terms of some final exhortations, some final applications. The first one is this. Determine now that no matter what happens, you will be loyal to Jesus Christ. No matter what, no matter what the situation, no matter what you face, that you will be loyal to Jesus Christ. He is worthy and the eternal reward can't be beat. It truly cannot. Secondly, hold as more precious your citizenship in heaven and the king's confession of you as his disciple, then you hold precious your citizenship down here. Citizenship is a big deal. It's a big deal. I think when our son, our first child, was born in China, one of the major questions we had was, now how do we ensure that he will become a citizen of the United States? There's a process for that. There's recognition when that happened. But if we would regard as precious as our citizenship here is, and as much as we will speak up about the rights that we have, will we speak up even louder about the king and about his sovereignty and control? Third, rely on the Holy Spirit to give you boldness when the time comes. Relate to Jesus, spend time with him now, and be ready when the time comes when you may be called on to give a unique testimony to what Jesus has done for you. And finally, remember that nothing and no one can stop Jesus Christ, the King. There is no stopping the power of Jesus that was unleashed 2,000 years ago almost, as soon we will remember on Good Friday and celebrate on Easter morning that Jesus Christ, the King, is alive. So, my friends, speak up for the King. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word of Scripture. Thank you that Jesus has revealed himself so that we can, we can confess him, we can say about him what he has said about himself, so that we can speak up about his forgiveness. Help us not to turn away from the need of forgiveness. And if there are any here today who are not forgiven, I pray that they would come and talk with us here so that we can show them how they can have the full and free 
forgiveness of Jesus. And Lord, establish our hearts so that we would, we would follow you and depend upon the power of your spirit no matter what. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.